1: If you like Love It or Leave It, you should check out, in case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. It's a show for people who have a healthy relationship with the internet, made by people who really, really don't. It's hosted by Slate's Rachel Hampton and Candace Lim. Twice a week, they explore what's trending at the top of your feeds, investigate the ghosts of internet past, and help you sound like the smartest person in your group chat. Episodes drop every Wednesday and Saturday. Search I-C-Y-M-I wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-C-Y-M-I, the podcast that's extremely online so you don't have to be.
2: My dear sweet child, I'm a winner, that's what I live for. To help garbage like yourself, poor trolls with no one else to turn to. I myth that in the past I've been a grifter, they weren't kidding when they called me well a crook. But you'll find that nowadays I've leaned into my ways Filled country club bathrooms with the docks I took Allegedly And unfortunately I'm running for office We'll see if they elect me from a jail And dear voter, please don't cry when I'm caught in a lie Since I can't help myself and leave a paper trail Moronic Dumb Republican trolls Stupid and mean This one longing to hurt trans kids This one wants to ban a book But who's the worst one? Why, it's me! Those dumb Republican trolls When will they learn? Kiss the ring at Mar-a-Lago Crying, ban abortions, please And I screw them Always do Now it happens all the time, like when I commit a crime I bring the party farther away from their goals Yes, I've had the odd complaint But those dummies can lick my taint Fuck those dumb Republican trolls without my pride, you'll have your office and that gay side piece on Instagram. And don't underestimate the importance of gerrymandering. Ah. Voters there want a big elitist They want someone blindly loyal to me Out there they think it's much more fun When elected, shoot a gun After all, dear who's a fan of Hillary Come on, they'd rather pick a fight about CRT And whine about 1619 all day They bully trans girls in sports And extremists on the courts And they think you can pray the gay away Come on, dumb Republican trolls Go ahead, pick a side I'm a very busy monster, and I haven't got all day. It won't cost much, just your pride. You dumb Republican trolls. You're red, they're blue. If you want to get the Senate seats, the elections that they stole. Take a gulp and take a breath. Listen, come on, you're not Bob Dole. Giuliani, Scaramucci, your boss is on a roll. These dumb Republican trolls.
1: Everybody. One more time for Carne Asana. Welcome to Love It or Leave It. In the second best city in the best state in the country. Honestly, it was hard to do after you were so nice. Now, nah, come on, all right, you could be the best. This is, of course, the best city. Where else can you nearly get run over by an automated car while carrying a $30 salad? <laughs> Where it looks like the sun might come out all the time. <laughs> That's a cool trick. We have a truly incredible show for you tonight. We have your mayor, London Breed. Adam Savage is here. And he'll do what he does best. Help us bust some myths. We have a crypto prospector who may or may not have struck gold, (laughs) local champs Emily Van Dyke and Marcus Williams face a grueling quiz about unicorns, (laughs) plus the rant wheel spins, and we're going to do live high notes, so uh, think happy thoughts. But first, let's get into it. What a week. Hunter Biden has pleaded guilty to charges of misdemeanor tax offenses this week in a deal to stave off more serious felony weapons charges. The prosecutor in this investigation, David Weiss, was appointed by Trump in 2017. And while the Biden administration asked almost all Trump-appointed U.S. attorneys to step down, as new presidents do, they specifically asked Weiss to stay on because he was already investigating Hunter Biden and removing him might have looked political. President Biden also didn't want to send the wrong message to Hunter, growing boys need boundaries. Just so we're clear, a Trump-appointed prosecutor was asked to stay at his job and continue to investigate the president's son with total independence. And it worked! (laughs) Republicans calmly accepted the outcome, and everyone shook hands and went out for a collegial steak dinner. Oh, God. I'm sorry. (laughs) Merrick Garland and I were sexting about his sexual fantasies. (laughs) Not sure how that got in there. No, no, the plea did not stop a backlash. Uh, said Oversight Committee Chair James Comer on Tuesday, we will not rest until the full extent of President Biden's involvement in the family schemes are revealed. It's an unsettling promise. You don't want to see Comer without his beauty sleeve. <laughs> eh, none of us know what he looks like. Could be here right now. Meanwhile, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin still hasn't ruled out a third-party run for president, and his Democratic colleagues are now actively trying to talk him out of it. To Joe Manchin's Democratic colleagues, there's no such thing as a bad idea here. We need to throw everything we can at this. $300 gift card at Topgolf, see if he takes to it. Maybe he'll like Fortnite. (laughs) Gotta see what sticks. (laughs) When asked about Manchin's potential run, Senator John Hickenlooper told reporters, I have advised him against it. I think it would be a terrible idea. It would help Donald Trump. But what if I convince myself it won't do that, said Manchin, as he played with one of those bead mazes you see in a pediatrician's waiting room. <laughs> Remember those? What would you have Googled? It was I didn't start at bead maze. Think about it. What would you... What is that? I said bead maze. Now that's what you think it is. But if you didn't hear bead maze, what the fuck is that? I think I started metal wires for kids (laughs) in other 2024 news the New York Times reported Thursday that Florida Senator Rick Scott is also considering a presidential campaign when asked (laughs) yeah (laughs) no I know do it please you're the absolute worst Uh, but uh, when Scott was asked about it he told reporters I've been clear I'm running for Senate in fact we have a clip of that For those listening at home, it's one of those little lizards that runs across the water. (laughs) Come on, Rick Scott. Tim Scott's already in the race. You'll get to be known as the Scott who fucks for the first and only time (laughs) in your whole life. Former Texas Congressman Will Hurd, who's been openly critical of Donald Trump, has also inexplicably announced that he's running for the GOP nomination. You cannot run against Donald Trump when your name rhymes with turd. This is a suicide mission. <laughs> According to a new ProPublica story, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito went on a 2008 luxury fishing vacation with GOP mega-donor Paul Singer, whose hedge fund had business before the court at least ten times in the years that followed. Alito never disclosed it, never recused himself. Alito Fishy, if you ask me. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Conservative justices are just out here living what can only be described as a make-a-wish-kid lifestyle. <laughs> Singer reportedly flew Alito out to Alaska on a private jet. The trip would have cost at least $100,000 if he chartered the jet himself. Alito didn't answer reporters' questions directly, but responded to the story with his own op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. It's very defensive. You have to know that Alito has just been watching all this Clarence Thomas news trickle out, looking over at a photo of himself holding a big old salmon. <laughs> Just freaking the fuck out. <laughs> Alito, this is actually from his, uh, his, uh, his op-ed. I stayed for three nights in a modest one-room unit at the King Salmon Lodge, which was a comfortable but rustic facility. As I recall, the meals were home-style fare. I cannot recall whether the group at the lodge, about 20 people, was served wine, but if there was wine, it was certainly not wine that cost $1,000. <sighs> yes. I accepted a gift from a billionaire with business for the court, but let me be clear, it fucking sucked. (laughs) Continued, Olito, the complimentary diamonds were cloudy and brown. I cannot recall. I cannot recall if we were invited to hunt the locals for sport, but if there was local hunting, the helicopter we used was nothing close to state of the art. In the wake of this story, Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin announced that his committee will consider a bill on Supreme Court ethics after the Fourth of July. What said Clarence Thomas, stuffing Learjet shrimp into his pockets? (laughs) Kevin McCarthy lost control of the floor this week, following a vote to censure Adam Schiff, with lawmakers chanting shame at the House Speaker.
3: On this vote, the A's are 213 and the nays are 209, with six answering present. The resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is laid on the table. House will be in order.
1: Look, the chant was a nice idea, but it just made McCarthy come faster. Why did you think you came here? <laughs> on Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer unveiled his vision for regulating AI, declaring Congress must join the AI revolution. Unfortunately, upon closer inspection, though, Schumer appeared to have seven fingers on his right hand and way too many tits. <laughs> A new bill was passed in New York this week, one that is intended to legally protect doctors who prescribe and send abortion pills to patients in other states. The bill specifies...
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you can prescribe them here, you can prescribe them anywhere. Also this week, a federal judge struck down Arkansas's ban on gender-affirming care as unconstitutional. Yeah. So, this is not a drill, people. We need to find a transgender billionaire to take Alito and Thomas on the vacation of their fucking lives. <laughs> TikTok. There's gotta be someone in the city. I just want to pause and say that we can now announce that our Fuck Bans Leave Queer Kids Alone Fund... Which has been raising money for organizations fighting bans on gender affirming care and supporting organizations on the ground that are providing direct resources to trans people, surpassed $100,000, <laughs> twice our original pride goal. We're sending money to the Campaign for Southern Equality, the Transgender Law Center, and the Trans Justice Funding Project, which is also where a portion of Love It or Leave It error Stores tickets all go, as well as a portion of all the merch. Um, we've had over 1,500 contributions. Going to these organizations and others in Florida, Missouri, Kentucky, and Tennessee, we're taking the fight right to the right-wing goons attacking LGBTQ rights. So, if you are hearing this, you can join in at votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbans. (laughs) The Federal Trade Commission sued Amazon on Wednesday, alleging that the company tricked millions of consumers into signing up for Amazon Prime and then sabotaged their attempts to cancel. Wow, yeah, that sucks. I hope the consumers are okay, said a dehydrated Amazon driver pissing into a Gatorade bottle at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> a deep-sea submersible with five people... Uh, listen, just chill the fuck out. Chill the fuck out. Of course I'm going to do it. Do you ever understand the conversations we've had to had today about this? What can we say? What are we allowed to do? What's too glib? What's right? What's wrong? They died down there, deep in the fucking ocean. How about this? We'll just make a little deal. I'm going to do these jokes. I'll tell you when we're done. Go in knowing that these are the ones we picked from others we felt were beyond the pale. A deep-sea submersible with five people inside went missing during a dive to the wreckage of the Titanic on Sunday. The stepson of one of the missing passengers attended a Blink 182 show during the active search, writing on Facebook, It might be distasteful being here, but my family would want me to be at the Blink 182 show, as it's my favorite band and music helps me in difficult times. What did you want him to say when he heard the news? Say it ain't so, I will not go. Unfortunately, on Thursday, the Coast Guard said in a tweet that a debris field had been found in the search area, and Ocean Gate said in a statement that they now believe the passengers of the submersible had sadly been lost. I don't want to say I told you so, but there's a reason sea shanties aren't about how chill the ocean is. (laughs) They don't call them widow's walks because your abandoned wife just wanted to get her steps in. Silver lining here, they probably died instantly and never saw all of your fucked up tweets. And I think this has been an educational experience for everyone. As someone with a platform, it makes me want to be extra sensitive in situations like this because I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, how much people would clown on me if I had died in my Tesla. (laughs) And obviously this whole thing has been completely horrifying, but at least I'll have the kinks smoothed out for my trip next month. (laughs) Everyone has their hands just around their face. In a midnight tweet on Wednesday that has Ambien written all over it, Twitter owner Elon Musk declared that the words cis and cisgender will henceforth be considered slurs on Twitter.com. According to Elon, additional slurs will include dad and please pick up your children need you. (laughs) Musk also joked this week that he would physically fight Mark Zuckerberg in a cage match. After which the Facebook founder posted the tweet with his response, send me location, which is adorable because he already has it. (laughs) Musk then replied, Vegas Octagon, never in my life have I wanted to smell a room less. Think about how much of a fucking prick you have to be to have a physical fight with Mark Zuckerberg and everybody roots for Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) That is unbelievable. That is a brand. That stinks. (laughs) Meanwhile, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert went rogue this week and launched another doomed effort to impeach President Biden using a procedural tactic that will force a House vote. Republican leaders urged members to table the resolution during closed-door meetings on Wednesday. Multiple sources confirmed to reporters that Marjorie Taylor Greene called Boebert a little bitch on the House floor on Wednesday. And Green confirmed it. She said, I've donated to you, I've defended you, but you've been nothing but a little bitch to me and you copied my articles of impeachment after I asked you to co-sponsor them. And I just had an idea for an opening event before the Zuck-Musk fight. And finally, India's Prime Minister Narendra Modi spoke at a group yoga session for diplomats at the UN on Wednesday before joining in himself. An amazing sight. People from nations all across the globe, in harmony, desperately trying to hold in their farts. That was the last joke. When we come back, your mayor is here. And we're back. When producer Brian told me London was calling, I said, but what do you mean, we're going to San Francisco? Once the bit worth thin. <laughs> We were excited to welcome her back to the show. Please welcome to the stage your mayor, London Breed. Hi. Hello. Love this suit.
4: Thank you. Wanted to bring some brightness to the room because it's Pride in San Francisco.
1: It is Pride in San Francisco. I'm going to see what that's like tomorrow. I hope I make it.
4: Don't make the rookie mistake of staying up too late tonight and even Friday, and then not being able to pace yourself and get through the whole weekend so that you can make it in time for the parade
1: That's really good advice. I actually really want to talk to you about housing. It seems to be so central to so many issues, and California seems to be an extreme version of what's happening in the country, and San Francisco an extreme version of what's happening in California. So according to California State Housing Agency, San Francisco has the longest timelines in the state for getting housing projects into construction, among the highest housing and construction costs in the whole world. And that agency receives more complaints about San Francisco than any other jurisdiction. Because of a state mandate, San Francisco has to build 82,000 new units of housing in eight years. You just proposed a bill to stop requiring people to go in front of the city planning commission over and over again, among other changes to speed up construction. Can you talk a little bit about what the reforms would do and your confidence in hitting that number? that 82,000?
4: Well, first of all, the best thing that has happened to San Francisco is the housing element, which requires us under state law to build 82,000 units in the next eight years. Because what that means is, (laughs) if we don't move as quickly as we possibly can, then we jeopardize possible state funding for so many of our affordable housing projects here locally. And so finally, we do have Uh, legislative body here, which is our board of supervisors, that are working with us to move forward the kind of legislation necessary to get out of the way of housing production. I mean, the fact that we have a density bonus required by the state, but we have a process that you have to go through To have a hearing for the density bonus, even though by state law, there's nothing we can do about it locally, is ridiculous. So my plan is to be as aggressive as possible to get rid of all of the bureaucracy that makes it difficult to build housing in San Francisco. And we got to get there. And I'm excited about some of the things that we're doing together to get there.
1: So... You see a lot of arguments and blame around empty stores and commercial districts, drugs on the street, crime, unhoused people in crisis, rents that force people to leave town, and everyone seems to at least use words that acknowledge that the city's in a housing emergency. But then the Board of Supervisors rejects a basically 500-unit building that was in a Nordstrom parking lot. Uh, It took almost two years to get that back to yes. Hundreds of small apartments were rejected on O'Farrell Street. Supervisors rejected a 157-unit Mission District development, worrying about displacement, but of course, lack of housing, drives up costs, which caused displacement. The planning commission rejected a 57-unit building that was also going to be built on a parking lot. The board rejected a 63-unit building near a park. It wasn't that tall, but they had shadow concerns. There have been some changes in the board. You just mentioned the pressure coming from the state. Do you feel like other leaders in the city treat the housing crisis with the seriousness it deserves?
4: I think that sometimes there are some members, not all of the members of the board, that speak out of both sides of their mouth. They say, we need housing. We need more affordable housing. We need more. And then exactly what you said. I mean, we could list a whole other dozen of projects that have not been approved. There is a project in Park Merced, which would provide thousands of units that was approved way before I was even on the board of supervisors when I served. We have over 50 thousand units that have already been approved to develop in san francisco and the fact is a lot of obstruction happens because of exactly the kinds of reasons that you're talking about that are so minor and get in the way. And again, this goes back to now the state is really being more aggressive and expecting us to do better around our housing policies. And if we don't move as aggressively as we can to change some of these exact things, CEQA and all of these different regulations, then we are going to not only lose dollars, but we're gonna stop housing production overall San Francisco, which could become increasingly more expensive than it already is.
1: You mentioned a bunch of buildings were approved, but it seems like it's after pressure came down from the state. And just my, as an outsider, looking at this, it seems a lot like what the state is doing is coming in and telling the supervisors to quit fucking around.
4: Pretty much. And, and, the, and what's cool about the I'll tell you, I'm loving it because they are even writing letters. This has never come from... The California Department of Housing and Community Development, they've never been this aggressive when I'm introducing legislation saying, you need to pass this, you need to move faster. We can't keep delaying. There's so many excuses as to, well, why would this do this and how would this do this? For example, recently I introduced legislation because I want to be able to convert offices to housing easily. And... One of the things that is required under our housing laws is open space and that sort of thing. And in many of our office buildings, the ability to do that is not even possible. So why are we going through a conditional use process for six months to even have a conversation about it? So I am trying to just really get rid of all of this bureaucracy and my hope. And and people are starting to now pay attention. We have these movements around housing like YIMBY and housing hacks, something. They have all these different acronyms, but these are a lot of housing advocates that are just really going hard because the next generation of San Franciscans, they're growing up and they're saying, well, what about us? Where are we going to live? How are we going to afford to purchase a home in San Francisco? What about our kids? The city has to do better around housing production and our transit corridors and in other parts, and I think we're at a place where we can finally do it, especially, unfortunately, because of the state pushing us in that direction.
1: So you were asked recently about the city becoming affordable for artists and musicians again, asked that by the Times, and you actually, it was was striking that you didn't feel like you could say yes, that you said it's a hard one, something like that, and said, hopefully, if we build these 82,000 units, maybe. In a state run by Democrats top to bottom, why do you feel like you can't just say yes to that question, we will make this city affordable for everybody, like what stops you from being able to make that promise?
4: What stops me is the reality of how San Francisco works and the bureaucracy. It doesn't stop me from trying because I have tried to bring a a ballot measure to voters at least on almost four occasions, and the last time there was a competing measure and they both failed, but the fact is it doesn't stop us from trying. There are all these different laws and restrictions. These things have happened over time. They developed over time. It wasn't as if all of a sudden, one day, it was impossible to build housing. It just layers of layers, years of years of laws that need to be addressed because someone thought, oh, we need to make sure commercial space is at the bottom. Oh, we should make sure this many units of two bedrooms and three bedrooms. We should make sure this happens and that happens. So eventually, all of this stuff is completely out of control. So as much as I want to say, Yes, take over the whole city. Wherever there is a place to build housing, like I did with my Cars to Casas legislation, where we can completely, like in old parking lots and gas stations, without needing to go to get a conditional use and rezone the space, we can actually move forward in the building process. It is so complicated, it takes so much time, and it's not that simple. So I don't want to go out there and say, yes, we're gonna make San Francisco completely affordable, and then it's like two years later, three years later, four years later. Well, I mean, I've been trying to make housing affordable in San Francisco and trying to push us in that direction, but I do think that, as I said, this is coming to light to the public differently, and people are not going for it anymore, and I think you have to be willing to make the hard decisions around housing to get it done, and I think we're in a better place now than we've ever been before.
1: So you get a fair amount of criticism from the left for some of your policies around policing. Uh, you just announced a new policy around drug arrests. You've got a lot of flack for giving voice to concerns about crime. The critic says that you were stoking fear for political gain. Uh, You were asked about it recently. You said, my perspective growing up in San Francisco is a lot different than the perspective of the people who have problems with my approach. I have relationships with a lot of the people who are experiencing challenges every day and suffering with addiction. Addiction is a complicated thing. It requires tough love. It requires force to a certain extent, not tolerance. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by your approach and what you think progressive critics, many of whom also work closely with the unhoused and people suffering from addiction, what do you think they miss?
4: So I think... Part of it is, it's, it's very complicated. I mean, I, I did grow up in San Francisco in public housing during the crack epidemic. I've had family members and friends who suffer from addiction. It was a common occurrence. And I think the difference between then and what exists now is San Francisco has invested tremendously in opportunities and programs and treatment on demand and clinics and behavioral health. And no, we don't have enough to cover the entire city, but we have enough when someone is seeking help or support in any capacity, the likelihood that we can get them help is highly likely. And we have the resources to do it and we're making investments. I think the challenge here is, you know, now we're saying, okay, can I help you? And sadly, in some cases, people are refusing that help. In some cases, people do accept the help and we're able to get them into treatment, but in some cases, they are refusing. And then on top of that, there are, you know, and I'll tell you that I can speak to the Tenderloin directly because the people that I mostly have conversations with about what's happening in the Tenderloin actually live there. They have businesses there. And a lot of them are people that I actually grew up with. And many of them come to me and they're like, London, how the hell is this happening out here? How are, we couldn't get away with this when we were growing up. And these are people who are in recovery and who are saying, why are we allowing, it's not just the drug use and the drug sales, it's the violence that has happened as a result of it and wanting to see more happen. And so The reason why I'm approaching it in this way had everything to do with many of my conversations from people who are actually living in it now. I think that's the big difference because no one came to me and my family and asked me when I lived in public housing what we wanted to see done in our community. And for me, that's where my decisions are coming from. It's not just me in a room with a couple of people saying, this is how we're going to do it. It's, well, what do you think we should do? What is happening? How do you feel about that? Well, we grew up in a time, we didn't trust the police. We didn't talk to the police. We didn't engage with the police. So how is it that your stance has changed, where now, all of a sudden, you feel like we need to do something about this? And these are people who, again, have had problems with the police, have had addiction, have dealt with a lot of challenges. Some of them are in the community, trying to help make changes, and they feel like there have been a lot of lines that have been crossed, and we've let people get away with far too much, and they wanna see us do something different. They want the police there, they want support, they want change, and they feel like things have gotten completely out of control more than they've ever experienced. So I think that's where I go to for the advice on what to do, is if you're living in it, it's a whole nother ball game if you can be distant away from it and you see it and you read it in a newspaper, you're like, oh, San Francisco, what's going on? Somebody needs to do something. But if you don't have to live in it every day, it's completely different. And that's why I'm not afraid to make the decisions I need to make. It's not about... Being political because I'm not afraid to lose my job. You know, the voters of San Francisco have honored me with this privilege that I don't take lightly, but at the same time, I realize that the voters can decide that they may want someone else, and I will respect that, but I will still be here working my ass off to do everything I can to change and support this city.
1: So, San Francisco has become a conservative talking point about everything wrong with progressive governance, that they blame wokeness, they blame defund the police, they blame progressivism, they blame liberalism. You've been mayor for since 2018. Mm -hmm. Is in any way what you just described a situation that's sort of out of control, problems that have gotten worse? Do you feel like that in some ways these shifts that you're making now are an admission that what San Francisco and what your office has been doing over the past several years hasn't worked to solve some of these
3: problems?
4: That question is very complicated because, to be clear, I think the perspective of what we did and what we actually did are two different things. So when we made changes at the time when George Floyd was killed— and there were so many people talking about black lives matter this and black lives matter that and saying they were investing money in the black community that really wasn't happening but in San Francisco we actually did invest 60 million dollars annualized in the African American community for the Dreamkeeper initiative which is really changing lives with businesses home ownership Um, and a lot of different things that are happening in San Francisco, specifically targeted at the African-American community. So I'm really proud of that work, and it's happening in San Francisco. But the other thing is we didn't get rid of our police officers. We took money from the police department. And now what we're also seeing is a need to make sure that there's a balance. Of course, we want, and I can speak to this from a perspective of the African-American community that I grew up in, We want to be protected and safe in our communities, but we don't want the police to kill us. And I think at the end of the day, some of the things that we've done in San Francisco to deal with reforms in the department and to highlighting the challenges and issues, we're going to keep moving in that direction. But you can have justice, you can have fairness, you can have accountability, but we also want safety. And I think balancing that is really important. So to imply that we went one way and now we're trying to go another way, that's not what we did. It's very complicated. And so I'm really proud of that work that we've done with the Dreamkeeper Initiative and how we've made a difference. And, um, I mean, Third and Newcom for those of you who know San Francisco, a notorious corner in the Bayview-Hunters Point. When I was growing up, there was a shooting on a regular basis. There are a whole bunch of businesses there. We paid for the build-out. We've invested in the community, my friend who used to sell stuff out of his car, clothes and T-shirts, now has his own clothing shop. My Another person who um, has a gym, a private gym there, where she's working to help make a better community. It used to be a 50% vacancy rate there. It's now 10%. And there's um, restaurants and offices and a rotary service. I mean, like a dry cleaner and a, a tailor, a guy who used to work for Nima Marcus, is making suits on the corner of Oakdale and 3rd Street where you can get some of the best suits anywhere in San Francisco and so the investments are making a difference but at the same time we still need to deal with the challenges around safety because a lot of things have gotten out of control and I wouldn't blame that on a particular movement I do think that we have to strike a balance and that's what we're trying to do in San Francisco
1: You know there a uh, progressive uh, DA was recalled, there have been changes on the board of supervisors Do you feel like now that the city government is aligned to what you're trying to do in a way that what happens in San Francisco over the next year or the next two years is a result of your policies?
4: Well, not necessarily, because I would just say that the city and its various layers of bureaucracy make it very challenging to govern San Francisco like a CEO would manage a company. During the pandemic under an an emergency declaration, I was able to make decisions a lot faster and move things in a way that needed to be because we were in a state of emergency during COVID. And San Francisco, even though we're one of the densest cities in the country, we saw one of the lowest death rates because we were able to have an executive with the ability to make the hard decisions to keep people safe. So I was really proud of that work. And then the pandemic is over, and reality comes back. I mean, I can't even fire and hire my department heads, the police chief and other departments. I can't do that directly, but I'm being held accountable for everything that all of these departments are doing. And so I think that as a mayor, whether it's me or anyone else who's mayor of this amazing city, the mayor needs to have the ability to be an executive and be able to make the decisions, And it's not just about the people in office because the people will come and go. It's about the structure of the office to give the person that the people select the ability to make hard decisions in order to deal with the challenges of the city.
1: Well, it just sounds like there's a lot of... These are layers of accountability and sort of checks and balances that have been put in place over years by Democrats to try to make sure that these systems protect the vulnerable, protect people that may not have as much power, but you're saying that a lot of times those are now standing in the way. It seems like that's a problem. That's not just happening in San Francisco. That's a problem in Los Angeles. And that's a problem in California writ large.
4: Yeah, I think, I think sometimes something happens and then to solve for a problem, we create a policy to solve for it. And sometimes over the years, those policies may or may not be necessary. I can give you an example, but it's kind of a silly example. But, so arcades in San Francisco, when arcades first started popping up, People in San Francisco, legislators, parents, everyone, they thought it was the end of civilization as we know it. And so they created all these laws where you can't have an arcade here, next to a school, next to a gas station, next to this. I mean, I didn't even know this law existed until they were about to shut down Free Go Watch in the Haight-Ashbury community. And it was because of this law. And I thought, this is insane. But anyway, we got rid of the law. And the point that I'm making is... You know, sometimes we need to go back. Instead of creating new laws, how do we go back, get rid of old ones, or make things a lot better with some of the existing laws? And I think, you know, unfortunately, in politics, with politicians who are trying to make a name for themselves, oftentimes it's like, yeah, let's do this, and you want to get credit for doing all this stuff. And it sounds good, but eventually that stuff piles up, and it's probably not always good for the city.
1: Thank you for being here. Now, while we have you... We here on the Love to Leave a Tour refine the art of the micro-visit to some of our nation's most beautiful locales, which is why we're going to ask you what we should do if we have 24 Hours in San Francisco. All right. What's the best Patagonia Vest viewing area?
4: The best what?
1: Where should we go if we want to see as many Patagonia Vests as possible?
4: Oh my goodness, where would you go? Probably Chestnut? Did you say chestnut? I think probably maybe the inner sunset.
1: Ooh, controversial. Controversial. Some people with warm chests and cold arms are mad. (laughs) Speaking of uh, maybe a similar question, where's the best part of town to get bullied for not knowing what the blockchain is?
4: What, the what? The
1: crypto blockchain.
4: To get bullied for that? For not
1: knowing what it is.
4: Oh, my goodness. Nobody... Where did you get these questions from?
1: Where do you think you should go to get bullied if you do know what it is?
4: I would say on the block of Golden Gate and Fillmore. It's like, man, get out of here with that. (laughs) Come in here with that.
1: Alfred Hitchcock's horror classic The Birds makes the Bay Area look like the perfect place to get murdered by seagulls. Where in San Francisco should we go if we want to get attacked by thousands of birds?
4: Um, Probably U.N. Plaza. There's a lot of birds over there.
1: Okay. What's the best local hike for someone who doesn't like hiking but said they did on a first date because the guy was hot and now there's no getting out of it, plus I'm going to be tired from the show?
4: Probably somewhere in the Presidio. The Presidio? Yeah, the mount- it's not too, it's a lot of flat land. So you can look like you're hiking in nature and see the Golden Gate Bridge, but it's not really hiking.
1: You know what I find when I walk around San Francisco? You turn left, there may be a hill, there may not. There's no predicting it. No. You can't, you never know. You turn, like, Oh, this is up? You guys keep up in the weirdest places here.
4: That's why we have the wiggle, you know, for riding a bike. Because it's a way to go around the hills and ride your bike without needing to go up a hill. What is that? It's the wiggle. It's like a straight path to get from the west side of town to the east side of town, downtown, but also back and forth without going up major hills.
1: That's cool. Nobody told me about that. Yeah. Hey, question. What do people eat here?
4: We eat, well, San Francisco has the best restaurants in the world. Um, James Beard of World, Michelin Stars, but even our Hole in the Wall, you can get the best food, Chinese, Mexican, whatever, culture, community, anywhere you walk in for the most part. Just say, what's the best thing you have here? Taste the best thing they recommend. And let me tell you, your heart will melt.
1: Good advice. Um, Is there anything you can do as mayor to get the chowder in a bread bowl off your brand? That's a a crazy food to be associated with. First of all, it's New England clam chowder. Have some respect for yourselves. I always thought it was crabs. Are they not putting this chowder in the bread
4: anymore? (laughs) They do, but the bread bowl chowder thing, that's mostly in
1: Fisherman's Wharf where all the tourists go. Well, that's who comes and learns and leaves and tells others. Wait, that's exactly who we're trying to reach here. They come, they say, I'm gonna have the thing you have here. East Coast soup in a carb, in a soggy fucking
4: carb. But, but let me tell you, our bread is so good and so fresh and so soft, oh,
1: it's so good. It may be good, you can't claim it's so, f- everywhere as fresh bread, fresh is not a local thing. Fresh is, it's but, not, it's fucking not. What I'm, are you doing? I what, don't, I
4: that. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm oh, sorry.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. You and you guys invented fresh bread. All bread is fresh at the same exact moment everywhere. Fresh bread is not about where it's from. It's the moment it's done cooking. And all bread, by definition, has a moment when it's done fucking cooking. Can, can I? No, no. Let me tell you.
4: Let me tell The McDonald's on Golden Gate and Fillmore has the softest buns oh, you ever want to eat. And I bet you go to any McDonald's in any other city, you can't find a better filet of fish Our bread is good.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, this is, we're gonna have to go off to uh, Is that what we're getting? Are we getting white fish with American cheese? Is that what we're doing, Mayor?
4: In cases of emergency, you gotta do what you gotta do.
1: The McDouble's right there. Two patties, one slice of cheese, perfect ratio. (laughs) Something to think about. Why do they call the Fog Carl? Why
4: why do they call the Fog Carl? Carl Gray? Gray?
1: Because
4: Carl is gray. Yeah. I don't know, I just always called it Carl. I don't know why.
1: That's because that's its name. So I just wanna say, so far the two loudest and most confident answers have been because it's gray, and because that's its name. Can we talk about the schools in this city? <laughs> but 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 they call it Carl. Yes. What's the what's the Herb, Herb Kane? Herb
4: Kane named Carl the Fog.
1: I'm getting the wrap it up hands from off stage. Uh, what's the best thing to do inside of Carl? That sounded weird. What's the best thing to do in the fog?
4: In the fog, hopefully, I mean, you can't see in the fog. What What are you going to do in the fog?
1: Well, now you've thrown it back at me. I'm no expert. I'm a yeah. visitor.
4: Let me tell you something about the fog. The fog is not in every neighborhood all the time. There's neighborhoods where you don't have to see the fog, but it's mostly near the Golden Gate Bridge and other places like that. It varies in the avenues and other places, but it's not all of San Francisco all the time.
1: You even have fog inequality? (laughs) (laughs) I got a lot of of shit to do. Uh, Mayor Breed, thank you so much for your time. One more time, Mayor London Breed, everybody. (laughs) When we come back, Adam Savage is here.
5: Hey, don't go anywhere. There's more of Love It or Leave It coming up.
0: and freak out about it just a little bit less.
5: Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends.
0: Guys, it's been a rough year
1: Welcome to the stage, the man, the myth buster, the legend, Adam Savage. How are you? Thanks for being here. Hi, everybody. So what a beloved figure you are. Just universally. Adam, I love you too. you've dedicated your professional career to busting myths. And boy, we got a lot of them in our society these days. <sighs> I'm sorry for that. Uh, I am curious, though, you know, as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about, A, what makes basically a lie take hold? There are a lot of things that could be missed that aren't. But what makes a lie take hold? And then at the same time, what's a fun and smart way to dissemble one? I want to take each one. What have you taken away from so many years at looking at basically misinformation of a fun variety, <laughs> of a chill and cool variety? <laughs> What have you taken away from thinking about these myths about like why certain ones sort of capture public imagination?
3: Well, humans are always looking for ways to parse the world around them, and we do that with stories. And when we latch onto a story that's interesting to us, it doesn't have to be true, but it's going to be the one that we end up repeating. Science is nothing but a set of stories that we have assembled uh, carefully to illuminate the world around us but a really good counterintuitive fact will make you spread a misinformation far and wide because it's a fun story to tell. You know, one of the most central things about humans is we are story collectors and storytellers. And then on the other side of it, what can we take from
1: busting myths into politics? Like the other day, I saw somebody on TikTok was walking to their car in the rain. And the person in the car was like, what are you doing? It's raining. And they said, I learned from Adam Savage, that running through the rain would make me wetter. And even though that doesn't seem true, I'm gonna honor it by strolling to the car.
3: You got to that person. It is technically true, but by like a gram of water. <laughs> Some of these answers are at a threshold that is way below what anyone will ever notice or care about. It also. You start to
1: wonder, speed's got to matter on the
3: walk. Presumably, there's some sort of a, you know, what I
1: mean. You think about it. There's got to be some. I'm not relitigating the no, story. No, I don't, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't want you to. I don't want you to. But presumably, and I don't. Again, I don't. You're just thinking out loud. Um, rain falls at a certain speed. You move through it at a certain speed. It's not just that running might get you more wet than walking, there's presumably some sign of a curve where obviously standing still in the rain, you get 100% wet it's true. over time.
3: Yes, you can, oh, absolutely. You just stand in the rain and your door you're trying to get to is over there and you never go to it, yeah. you get 100% wet. That is specifically why we chose, I think, 75 feet because that was a distance that would be an average distance you might have to run. But yes, after a certain period of time, everyone gets the same amount of wet. Sure but then I really but, thought that was a softball <laughs> but then of course but
1: then, so then it's a speed question and, and obviously you, you decided that running is worse than walking but presumably it's a curve right? There's a basically there's maximum wetness and then as you start walking you get drier because you've made it and then at some point the speed picks up and you're pushing your face through more rain but not as much rain as if you'd never moved at all and
3: I, check, correct me if I'm wrong, you didn't make that chart. The thing is, wow, as ludicrous as the specificity you've just gotten to really is, that was exactly all of our story meetings around shooting this episode, was figuring out what those thresholds were and what would the average distances normal people would do and what could we get done in 41 minutes on television. But sorry, you dodged the question, you didn't use the chart. No. <laughs> Look, actually, to your original question, which was, what's a good way to dissemble a myth, the first place to start is to wonder if you might be wrong. Huh. I think we'd all do a lot better if we wondered that a lot more of the time. I care to
1: disagree. <laughs> I've never... I, I, I choose not to wonder. Now, it is Pride Month. We're currently in America's third most important case city. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I knew that was gonna happen. That was Those tough, are fighting that words. That was a horrible thing to say. That was a horrible thing to say. You're number one. So I thought we would tackle some queer myths in addition to some classic myths in a segment we're calling Myths Information. Yeah. So, here's how, so here's how it works. Is that a Sasquatch in heels? You bet it is. <laughs> what else would it be? Or is it? Uh, here's how it works. You're gonna help us break down some classic myths you may or may not have busted, and then I'm gonna ask you about the veracity of a myth from Gayland. All right, let's start with a classic myth. The five-second rule is real and how we should conduct ourselves with regard to food that falls on the floor, no matter how delicious the food or clean the floor. Do we honor the five-second rule?
3: Yes, we honor the five-second rule. Really? Absolutely. Good, because I'm a big believer in eating food that falls on the ground. Absolutely. What's our immune system for anyway? That's what I say. Like, I think it's fine. Absolutely fine. I'm not, I think, I, I will say, not wet food. No, exactly. I'm not picking up a shrimp off the
1: carpet. Right. That's, <laughs> and that's so important. Adam Savage is not picking up a shrimp off the carpet. The taller guy is always the top. You think that's true, Adam? I have the slightest idea. It's not. I... No, it's not true. It's not. Would that it were, but it's not. It's easy to take candy from a baby. Relatively easy, yes. Yeah, that's an easy one. It is possible to slip on a banana peel, a danger Looney Tunes made us all believe was a more common risk than in reality.
3: I know we showed that slipping on a banana peel was a pretty significant risk, actually. Yeah. It'll get you. Well, specifically because your feet go out from under you, which means you fall on your coccyx, you fall on your backside. That stinks. And that specific joke injury has injured more stunt people in Hollywood (gasps) than any other kind of stunt. Wow. Art imitating
1: life. (laughs) Gay people are better dancers. Absolutely true. Yeah. Not everybody. I just average, I don't move that well out there. Are there gays
3: that are bad at dancing? Yeah.
2: I yeah, yeah, there history. are.
1: There are. There are.
3: If you yodeled in the Alps, you could trigger an avalanche. Supposedly true, but we weren't able to replicate that in Telluride. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, all those people.
1: Uh, gay people love iced coffee. I'm going to say that 20% true, given the audience's response. No, no I, I think everybody loves gay co- iced coffee. <laughs> I think, I think everybody loves iced coffee, but I think that there's a certain daintiness to it that queer people have gone, you know, just to get to the other side of being queer, you're like, this is nothing, swip sip sip, you know? Like a cup of hot coffee, it's like everybody has that, but iced coffee, there's a daintiness, you know? I think, that's the, I think there's a toxic masculinity thing going on. If you drank Diet Coke and ate Mentos at the same time, your stomach would explode and you'd be torn to shreds from the inside.
3: No, you would just projectile vomit non-sticky soda. Really? Oh, yeah. I thought you'd just be nothing. No, 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 it's not that much pressure. It's less pressure that's in an actual soda bottle. Well, right, but I just thought, but you really will, it will. Oh, sure, yeah, no, you totally, you'd spew all that up. (laughs) It would be spectacular. All right, well,
1: I wish wish we had sweeps. Uh, Lesbians love woodworking.
3: Totally, totally true. Why is that? That's so interesting. Why is that? I I learned bowl turning from a lesbian in Oakland.
1: (laughs) If you drop a penny off the Empire State Building, it would absolutely kill someone. No,
3: not at all. Really? Oh, no, it's terminal velocity of a penny is about 70 miles per hour at the fastest, and uh, that's just enough to hurt. What if it is just right? No, 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 even just right. It's never going faster. What if you're like this? It might hit you in the eye, right? But the other thing is, is that every level of the Empire State Building, because we went there and filmed, every level below the observation deck littered with change.
6: <laughs> what a of-
3: this this is why this
1: is why there if when you when you eventually sail from uh, Russia across the Arctic, this is why people go up to the top of the Empire State Building and they're like, ha,
3: <laughs> exactly,
1: bunch of fucking assholes. Uh, Gay people walk much faster than straight people and are annoyed by them. I don't know about the second part, but the first part's true. It's totally about the heels. Oh. They have a longer stride. Yeah, maybe it is the longer stride. I also think it's the iced coffee. (laughs) You know, you really can take a lot of iced coffee in very quickly. You know, especially if you ask for what we used to know as straw. Straw? Remember straws? You ask for a straw now... I asked for a straw and it is no good. People. No, no, no.
3: The straw does not last for the whole drink.
1: Yeah. I like straws. (laughs) And I'm not ashamed of it. I don't want the ones that get into the turtles, but the ones that dissolve pre-turtle, what's the problem? (laughs) Why did this become a fucking token of progressive... Why
3: We get so much little pieces of plastic we throw away all the time. I want a dissolvable cellulose straw that's one of those conspiracy theories I do believe, because it's a plastics industry just trying to make us feel bad about their fuckery. Yeah, it's their problem. Yeah. Thank you for saying
1: that. You can't fold a piece of paper more than seven
3: times. I think more like 11.
1: What did Carrie Kerry,
3: Kerry Grant and Tori did this at the, uh, down at the Moffat Field blimp hangar, and I think they might have gotten to 11 folds. Because <laughs> you need a big piece of paper. It was a huge piece of paper, like 100 feet on a side. They got to 11. I think they got to 11. That's cool.
1: <laughs> Gay men sit in their chairs like a constantly uncomfortable cat. That's completely true. That's so true. I can't sit in a fucking chair. I don't I, even now. I, like, I, I don't feel like I belong. Lesbians want Kate Blanchett to hit them with their car. Absolutely true. What a strange thing. The mythic brown note is real, the brown note being a specific frequency so low, it makes the listener shit their pants.
3: So it's not true, and we know this from trying. In a parking lot over in Oakland, we set up with Meyer Sound 15,000 watts of subwoofers. Three six-foot stacks pointed all to the same locust that I stood in wearing adult diapers. And we scrolled up through the hertz. So we started with like six hertz, which is literally six beats per second. And from six hertz all the way up to like 100 hertz. And as it went, uh, don't get me wrong, it feels weird. Yeah. Like I felt different organs vibrating at different frequencies. Wow. Uh, But I did not shit my pants. Um, Can I ask you a question? Did you think about trying it with an
1: Ashkenazi Jew? (laughs) No. Who'd maybe like had a taste of cheese. It might not apply. The myth might not be busted for that person. Now I wish you were in that story meeting. (laughs) No one really knows how lesbians have sex. (laughs) You don't have to answer that one. (laughs) Adam Savage, thank you so much for being here. It's just so much fun. Adam is a board member with the Center of Policing Equity, which uses science to promote justice and redesign public safety systems. For information on how you can help, check out policingequity.org. Can you just tell us a little bit about it?
3: Yeah, uh, CPE is seeking to uh, basically rethink public safety across the country, but not at a global level, at a local level. We go into communities, we work with them, and work with local law enforcement to take data from law enforcement to build the largest police behavior database in the world and help those communities teach the police how to better serve them. Uh, So that's policingequity.org. When we come back, get out your pickaxe. We're mining for crypto.
1: Adam Savage, everybody. That was so good. Thank you so much. And we're back. San Francisco. It wasn't always the thriving, perfect human playground we know today. This was just a sleepy little settlement until the gold rush caused a population boom, transforming it forever. Ever since, hopeful dreamers and credulous, greedy idiots have flocked to these hillsides and droves to make their mark, seek fortune, and prove the bastards back east wrong. Here to tell us more about San Francisco's rich and not quite rich history, please welcome an old-timey prospector.
6: (laughs) Thank you, John, it's a pleasure to be here at Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. All right. Come on,
1: old-timey prospector, all right. It's not Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it's...
6: Look at this graveyard of
1: cue (laughs) cards.
6: What happened here? It's like the Rosie O'Donnell show.
1: Sort of is. Do you, you, you want to sit?
6: You, no, I think I'm better standing, okay. John.
1: <laughs> Thank you for being here, old-timey prospector. Woo-hoo! The, uh... <laughs> uh
6: so... Who wants to see my coins?
1: Just... <laughs> no one wants... We'll see your coins later. Would you mind coming? Up? I need to talk to you about some very important things.
6: Well, that's a little patronizing, isn't it? <laughs> so, I'm
1: sorry. Well, well, this isn't. Wait, wait! Don't tell me. Uh, it's sort of a political gay variety show. But um, what's on your mind? How how are you doing? What what are you? What, what,
6: John. What, what's am, it
1: like being a prospector well, these days?
6: I'm telling you, John. It started out pretty goddamn boring. Me and my friends, we came out here for the California Gold Rush. But. What kept us here was the Cupertino Bitcoin ride. Oh no. Yee-hee! Look at my I'm panning for Bitcoin, I've been waiting in the marina all day. Look at my this is my pan, I got E-Pennies in here, bitch dollar, cridgewad, Biddle Dick, Coin Tug, Email Wallet, Invisa Piggy Bank. What, you don't have Biddle Dick, John?
1: <laughs> uh, no, it's out, but it does sound like you have quite a diversified <laughs> portfolio.
6: Oh, you bet it. It's worth seven Pekingese right now. <laughs> Me and my old prospector friends, we built a shrine of the Winklevoss twins. Oh. Topless with their Winkle tits out. <laughs> all of us crypto freak, we're all waiting for the coming of the third Winklevoss twin, John. <laughs> oh, wow. There were three. <laughs> You're not I, a believer, Joan? I,
1: well, no, that's not my faith, but I'm going to respect your faith that we're waiting for the coming of the third Winklevoss. I appreciate you very much. I, did, I imagine, didn't know about that religion.
6: Imagine three gorgeous Winklevoss twins, a third even taller and more boring than the other two, <laughs> and he will deliver the Winkle coin, the dankest cryptocurrency any dipshit has ever seen. Oh, Fuck. It's an audio medium, John. Yeah, hey. As the prophecy goes, when the third Winklevoss twin arrives in his golden Tesla, his self-driving golden Tesla named after one of the idiots from Fight Club, as the prophecy goes, his self-driving Tesla will crash into a sushi place in Ashbury Heights. And then all of us old crypto prospectors will come gather round ye wreckage with our D's out and he will deliver us to the Holy Land. Do you know where the Holy Land is, John? Uh, Where is the Holy Land, Prospector? It's the stadium where Dave Chappelle brought Elon Musk out and he got booed. Hey, hey, Prospector. Hey, Prospector. Remember when when the mayor started talking about how their McDonald's has the best filet of fish in the country? What the fuck? What the fuck kind of politician shit is that? The best fillet of fish. What the fuck? It's a McDonald's. Every fillet of fish is harvested from the same morgue in Indiana. Hey, I also love the name London Breed. It sounds like a Batman feeling. It sounds like something Judy Dench would yell when she was really horny and drunk. Sorry. I just... I didn't get the script till like an hour ago. I just want everyone
1: to understand something and I don't wanna, I don't wanna... This is a page of text.
6: It's not from us. It's divine, John. I got it from the wiggle. Remember when she was talking about the wiggle?
1: I love that. What happened to the gold rush? Why
6: did you stop looking for gold? Have you ever tried to find gold, John? (laughs) This shit ain't easy. Just out in the ground, it's so hard. Sure, when I was in my 20s, I could squat by Ye River and rinse off me pebbles all day long. All my friends were squatting and rinsing. It was a whole scene. Squatting and rinsing and getting tangled up in bats for marriages. But golly, it grinds you down.
1: I'm sorry. Did you say bachelor
6: marriages? Are we in San Francisco or not? Home of the Wiggle!
1: (laughs) Did you just think there were going to be gold nuggets lying on the ground?
6: Yeah! (laughs) That's what the ads in the newspaper said. Ranger Rick, they were like, buy this canteen pickaxe and get your sweet tush to California. There's gold nuggets lying around all over the place. Why
1: would you need a pickaxe if there were gold nuggets lying all over the place. Great question.
6: Wish I'd asked it before I sold my family to buy a pickaxe at my family homestead. I like family better. When I sold my family. Love it or leave it got dark this season. Some 90-year-old came on talking about selling his family for a pickaxe. Yeah, gotten got in a steamship heading south, plus $100 for extra legroom. Still a bitch of a journey, John, especially on JetBlue. <laughs> oh, it was JetBlue. Oh, yeah. 1920s JetBlue. Wow, that's rough. No mosaic. There's a layover in Panama, and then they said, get in this canoe. I thought, am I being punked? You sold your homestead? Yeah, John. <laughs> I did. I was out of options. The land was giving us bupkiss. Not to be confused with the hit Pete Davidson show. <laughs> Ever since my drunk of a fault daddy tried to plant what he called salt trees before he ran away with the circus. They didn't even want him. He was like a groupie. Plus, my mother was up my ass about finding a wife. But all I knew about sex, I learned from sex ed. You had sex ed? Yeah, my good uncle ed would ring a bell whenever the horses started going at it. <laughs> okay. It's valuable. That's why I called him Sex Ed, so I sold the farm, sent my dear old mother to live with her sister in Iowa, and started off toward the horizon. And you became a miner. Mining for gold in them there digital hills, plus I have one of those NFT monkeys, plus I sell Paxlovid to my mom's friends on Facebook. And you're not worried that the whole... Qu- you ever get fucked up on Paxlovid, John? It's, it's, you, have to, you have to stay awake, and then it hits. Yeah, well, it's like rolling up CBD in a Barnes and Noble. Which is amazing. Yeah, the bassoon hits different. And you're not worried that the whole
1: crypto industry has been exposed as a pyramid scheme that enriches charlatans at the expense of some rubes?
6: Come on, John. That would only worry me if I was some kind of rube. I'm a brave person who sees his opportunities. Listen to yourself. This sounds like the gold rush all over again. Excuse me. You know what I learned earlier? What? In character acting, there's a fine line between Prospector and Michael Jackson. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that's what Uta Hagen, that's her famous realization. And Meisner. <laughs> that's a Meisner thing. Careful with, you got to go down the octave. If you stay up on that, yee Yeah. You got <laughs> to go, yee Come on, John. The Gold Rush was a frenzy. Guess what, men trapped by a lack of prospects, confused and lost in a time of rapid technological change, denied the dignity of success of the good life that they've been taught their manhood requires, and that I saw you listening to that Jordan Peterson podcast yep. backstage. Yep. <laughs> I'm kidding. He wasn't listening to Jordan Peterson. I wasn't,
1: or was I? They really have that little faith in me. I could lose them we in a fucking... lost fuck. the room. I, I told him- <laughs> I want you to know something. They know and I know, I can
6: lose them in a heartbeat and that's what makes this work. A tenuous bond. Men just naive and cynical enough to close their eyes and see themselves as the next avatar of American luck and magic Imagine beating a rush that they only knew about because the rush was already over. It's completely uh, different. I don't
1: know old timey prospector, you may think it looks different, but in the end it's all the same.
6: didn't sound like sex ed. All right.
1: <laughs> so how's your net worth since three weeks ago?
6: Oh, not good, John. Piss poor in the horse's trough. But that's how this works. You got to lose big to win big. You got to buy the dip. I learned that from the podcast Crypto Hectors. It's only $25 a week to subscribe. See, That's, that's what, a pair of jeans, John. <laughs>
1: that's where the money is, though. You don't buy the crypto, you sell the crypto podcast. But mm-hmm. you really believe this is gonna work out for you. It
6: has to, John, I don't have a fallback. I got no education, no land, no advantages. I can't even find a wife because I keep saying stuff like, there's this crypto slash keto influencer you should really follow on Instagram. <laughs> He's a genius, I'm all in. I came to California Cupertino to get rich quick. And so help me God, I will get rich quick. I don't care if it takes a hundred years. Well, best of luck, an old timey prospector everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs>
1: I hoped I'd lose control of the show. (laughs) Happened exactly as I imagined. Give it up for Chris Fleming, everybody. He'll be at the Aladdin Theater in Portland on July 6th. And check out his website for more dates, chrisflemingfleming.com. When we come back, is that a unicorn in your pocket, or are you just a billionaire?
5: Don't go anywhere. This is Love It or Leave It, and there's more on the way. Tune in to Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at cricket.com slash friends.
0: And we're back!
1: <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz, the Starbucks next to my hotel, San Francisco is full of incredible things, so please welcome to the stage two more of them, the incredible Emily Van Dyke and the amazing Marcus Williams. Hi, hi, hi.
7: Hey, hey, hey. How we doing? Nice to see you both. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for
8: having me. I'm glad to be here.
1: How you both doing?
7: Good. I'm emotionally drained.
8: (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's what this is all about. Okay. San Francisco, which is apparently called the Paris of the West.
7: What? Who calls it that? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, where did you hear that?
1: (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) But it is the land of the unicorn, extremely hyped startups valued at over one billion dollars. We wanted to put your tech knowledge to the test in honor of our visit to the spare city. But we also realized we needed to give you a fighting chance at a correct answer, so we've mixed in some questions about the other two most famous unicorns: the mythological beast and the sex one. Oh.
7: Statistically, some are here tonight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy
8: pride.
1: And if you can't answer a question about tech mythology or humping. What did you think this show was? It's not about sports. (laughs) Which is why it's time for our quiz. We're calling Unicorn In This
0: Economy.
8: (laughs) Everybody take it in. What's the financial status of unicorns? Like, were they broke or is it harder
7: in this economy to be a unicorn?
8: It's a really good question, Marcus. (laughs) We could
1: have kept pitching on the name.
7: This night has left me with more questions than answers, honestly.
1: (laughs) That's what we want. We want to leave people inquisitive. (laughs) They go home and they're curious. Here we go. Emily, I'll start with you. Which of the following tech unicorns isn't real? A, Hey B, Cloud Kitchens, C, Octopus Energy, or D, J-Frog?
7: Octopus Energy. They're all real. Gotcha,
8: what? (laughs) Yeah, I know, it sucks. They set you up, You
1: got set up.
7: This is like Squid Game.
1: (laughs) Marcus, according to medieval European lore, what is the one kind of person who can tame the ferocious
8: unicorn? Whew, um, a top. I'll give you, I think, correct. (laughs) (laughs)
7: That's what I'm talking about. That's right. That's right. Let's take a vote. How is that wrong? What
8: kind of great inflation is this? Uh, (laughs) Appreciate you. (laughs)
1: The correct answer is virgin. A virgin can tame the
8: unicorn. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? on some level, I'm so confused about what a unicorn is now. Well, that's the
1: animal—the horse with a horn, which seems to have. You put a horn on a horse, people freak out. Right. Like it's a big deal. Isn't it just a horse with a horn? Why does a virgin tame the unicorns? Is unicorns really horny or something? I don't know. <laughs> More yeah. questions than answers. More questions than answers. <laughs> Emily, in sex and polyamory, what is the traditional definition of a unicorn?
7: That would be a woman that is down to be the third in a couple situation,
1: is, I believe. Yes, that's yes, yes, correct. Yes! That's correct. They've they've expanded to make it non-gendered, but Mm. Okay. But okay.
7: (laughs) I think we're all down for expansion.
1: Yeah. And we're all saying (laughs) 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 Yes. Which of these companies, Marcus, Mm. that we've all heard of was not a unicorn? One of these companies was not a unicorn. A Duolingo. B Shazam. C Pornhub. D Blue Apron. What was the first one? Duolingo.
8: Mm Mm-mm. That ain't it.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to learn Spanish for five seconds when the person you're sleeping with is in the bathroom?
8: Absolutely. That sounds actually... You made it sound really fun. Is that not... (laughs) Is that too specific? (laughs) I'll go with Pornhub. Correct. Yes! Correct, Marcus. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about.
1: Emily, in the first century C.E., Pliny the Elder described the unicorn less like a pretty horse and more like a sphinx monster. Mm. What animal's feet did he say that the unicorn had?
7: Sphinx monster. That would be a sphinx-like monster. Oh, hmm.
1: Sphinx adjacent.
7: Okay. <laughs> it's getting more ambiguous. <laughs> it's I impossible. Don't, I don't know. Is it a lion? <sighs> so close.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Marcus, you want to steal frog. That's cool. Oh. Thank they you. Don't that's do a that true that, ally that's, that's gonna be like,
7: no, we're <laughs> both wrong.
1: It was an elephant.
7: No, oh. come on.
1: I don't don't take it up with Pliny the Elder.
7: Mm. Over a beer. What what what's what? Hey.
1: Hey. what's up,
7: Bay Area?
1: Over a beer with Pliny the Elder.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Thank you. I didn't want to uh. hit him twice.
1: <laughs> Hold on a second. Now, what I'm gathering is that several of you have a great deal of confidence that I'm saying it wrong. That when I say Pliny the Elder, you're so confident you're going to shout what at me? Pliny. Now, will the people that actually know how to say it, say it to me? Thank you. (laughs) What does the classics major say? You're the classics major? Yeah. How do you say it? (laughs) It was free to help me. How do you say the name? Pliny. But how do you how do you actually say it? The beer is pliny? That's
7: what you're going on about? You are so late to the happy hour.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. This is intense. (laughs) I want you to know something. We have done this show in virtually every major city in this country, <laughs> and there is no city but San Francisco where this debate <laughs>
6: would ever in a million fucking years break out.
1: Marcus. All right. What did Samantha Jones call being a sexual unicorn on Sex in the City? Plining. Pliny. Pliny. <laughs> the being of Klein. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go, you freaks. It's God. a television term. A television term? It's a, it's a, yes, it's a television term. It's a term for a, a kind of appearance you can make in a television show. A cameo. So close. Damn it. Emily, you can steal.
7: Oh, I don't know. I'm a guest appearance? Yes. Hey. Oh,
1: you got it. It was guest star.
7: I mean, cameo's <laughs> way better. Okay.
1: This, it is yeah. more of a cameo. Like,
7: hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's more of a... And me.
1: You know? <laughs> Emily, what is the term for a winged unicorn?
7: A pegasus.
1: So close.
7: Oh, come on. The technicalities. Oh. Is it a Pegasus? So, you're getting so close. <laughs>
1: it's pegasus. It's pegasus. <laughs> I read the Canterbury Tales in the Middle English, and I know it's Pegasus. (laughs) Uh, Marcus, on Urban Dictionary, the first and third definition of unicorns involves sex and couples. What is the second definition? It goes, sex Sex stuff, something, sex stuff. Mm. What is the middle definition of unicorn? One kernel of
8: corn. That is correct. (laughs) Yo, I was trying to be funny and got it right. That Holy rules. Shit. That
2: rules. <laughs>
8: wow. Oh, wow.
7: That's because Marcus has read Urban Dictionary cover to cover. That's <laughs> part of his training. Hey. I mean, all right,
8: comes naturally. In what year
1: was the tech term unicorn originally coined?
7: I don't know. That sounds like some 2014 type stuff. 2014.
1: You know what? I'm going to give it to you because that is so damn close. Yes. It was 2013 by Eileen Lee in a TechCrunch article called Welcome to the Unicorn Club. So something there.
8: It was probably like December 31st, 2013, the way we're going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a technicality for sure. All right. And either one of we're going to get both of you can answer. Finally, according to an incomprehensible website, certainly written by AI, that producer Brian found and adores, on a scale of one to 10, how hot does someone need to be to be a
8: unicorn? Four. Well, be, we're doing prices, right rules, it's closest without going over. Oh, I'ma say, you know, it's somebody for everybody. You could be a unicorn and be like a, a half. Oh. <laughs> so, no, I want, I want the check mark for that. I'm
1: checking the mark. <laughs> Hey! I think that should be the really correct answer. This website says seven point eight, but that website no. can
8: eat shit.
7: <laughs> no, they haven't been to Berkeley. All right.
8: You're right. Where
7: where what, where am I wrong?
1: What are you mad about? What are you mad about? They fuck. That was fun. Guys everybody give it up for Marcus and Emily. Marcus will be hosting the San Francisco Punchline the week of July 17th, 2023, and will be in LA for the Burbank Comedy Festival the week of August 15th. Emily will be at the Academy of Sciences next Thursday. So check that out. And they're going to stick around for the rant wheel. We'll be right back. Hey. And we're back. Now it's time for the rant wheel. You know how it works. We spin the wheel where it lands. We rant about the topic. This week on the wheel, we have all these fucking hills. Phones at the dinner table, wine tasting, not being able to ride electric scooters on the sidewalk even though riding them in the street is really scary. The dumbing down of America. (laughs) iTunes, verbal processors, patronizing small dog. (laughs) I wonder who that is. (laughs) And the ocean part two. (laughs) Let's spin the wheel. has landed on wine tasting which I who suggested wine tasting I I
8: suggested wine tasting what do you think about it I hate that shit you know (laughs) laughter Yo, recent story. So I went wine tasting, right? And, you know, you know, we're at a place where we're, like, meeting people where they are, you know, we're respecting pronouns, being kind to one another. And this hoe ass like, sommelier in one of those Patagonia jackets that we were talking about earlier, you know, we're in Napa, we're sipping. And I just kind of was offended that, like, the way that he was describing the wines kind of, like, assumed that I was heterosexual. Like, he was like, this red that we're going to taste, this one's, like, sweet and sassy, right? And then the rosé came out, and he was like... This is, like, feminine and floral, right? And then the white came out, and he was like, oh, this one's, like, really bushy and approachable. And I was like, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gay as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want, like, gay-ass descriptors for wines, you know? Like, reds that are, like, stiff and erect, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I I prefer, like, a sweaty and anonymous rosé. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, maybe something more with, like, long legs and nutty finishes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the... That's the kind of shit I want. You know what I'm saying? This, it was, I didn't like it.
1: We got to queer up some wine tasting. Here. Yeah, this that's is ridiculous. Right. This that's is ridiculous. Right. That's, that's right. a really important point. Yeah, let's spin it again. <laughs> Phones at the dinner table. I believe this was yours, Emily. Oh,
7: that's me. Um. <laughs> I wish you would set your phone at the dinner table with me, all right? That is just disrespectful. And honestly, it's not as disrespectful as me setting my phone at the dinner table with you. And you need to hold me accountable for that. You know what I'm saying? It is just a matter of time before wearing their phones on the faces. Apple Vision's coming. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm serious. We need to intercept. This is not even funny, this is just a public service announcement. <laughs> In two years, you're gonna be like, I remember that white lady and she went off about phones on the table and now we all have phones on our faces and it's just very unfortunate. I'm just saying, hold me accountable. Be like, listen, if your auntie's not in hospice, you can put your phone away. You know, we don't need that. We don't need the visual aids. We don't need the text messages. We're good. We're good with the phone uh, just in the purse or just off, you know? Let's just enjoy it ourselves, you know?
8: I like that.
1: I completely agree, everybody, I remember when cell phones first started being a thing and people would have them on their belt and it would be like, are you a doctor on call? No, what the fuck are you doing? And now we're all on call. We're all on call. We all are on call. When's it gonna end? Apple wants to put it right in our fucking eyeballs.
7: Some of you people are making it happen. Yeah. (laughs) It's unbelievable. I know. It makes me very angry. I'm so sorry. I will
1: say, though, I haven't been able to adapt to the post-skinny jeans era. I see the young people, and then the, it's moving up in the years. The wider leg, the, the end of the skinny jean era has come. I put on these pants. I look like I'm in fucking Guys and Dolls. I gotta, I'm sticking with the skinny jeans. My proportions do not lend themselves to these wide, baggy pants.
7: You're wearing a floral skirt. Get a purse. I think that's that a A purse is a man purse. Oh, okay.
6: I'll get a purse. You're right. I think it just means you're thick. <laughs> I thought you said e which is like an internet man
7: purse. No.
6: An e Yeah. I was checking out your e the other day. <laughs> you got a lot of messed up stuff in your e man. Let's spin it again.
7: Meanwhile, this unicorn from Berkeley is going to be selling uh, Apple Vision in the lobby. All right, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It has landed on the ocean part two, and I I don't know what made me think of it, but um, I say no. It's not for us. We left the ocean. (laughs) Leaving the ocean was so fucking difficult. Do you know how long it took for us to leave the ocean? At first, we swam and flopped around because we were desperate and hungry and small and vulnerable to predators in the water. And we would stay out there for longer and longer periods of time, slowly figuring out how to make our little fucking fins into legs that could slowly crawl our way out and slowly but surely spend more and more time on land, desperately trying to survive that survival, making it possible for us to eventually permanently have lungs so we no longer had to go back into the water we could stay on the beautiful beautiful sweet sweet land and then what do we do we decide to turn around and even though we are not evolved at all to be in the ocean it wants to kill us within seconds and you don't have to go down far to die in the ocean it'll kill you right there on the top you can be in the sun the ocean will fucking kill you every goddamn time and not only do we go back to the ocean, we declare war on the ocean and try to kill every fucking thing in it. We go out there so much that the ocean, the ocean is trying to tell us, you're killing us, stop coming out here. And then we just say, no, no, we're gonna go deeper. We're gonna go further down into you. Thank you. I say no to the ocean. I, I didn't say know no like the, the
8: little mermaid was an evolutionary tale. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Let's spin it again.
1: (laughs) It has landed on verbal processors patronizing small dog. Uh,
6: Chris, I believe this was your suggestion. Well, here's the problem, John. These were two different things, and Uh. I was...
7: But now you have to put them together. Yeah.
6: (laughs) So now, as when you said that, the adrenaline kicked into my body in a way uh, where I'm gonna have to conjoin two very disparate things, <laughs> neither of which are really things. Uh, okay, my thing about verbal processors is like, when you cut them out of your life, like you won't believe what you can achieve. <laughs> like Marie, who did uh, pasteurization? Was it, I know you know this, and I, yeah. Wasn't it Pasteur? It can't can't be that easy. It cannot be that easy. Her name was Pasteur. So, like, Marie Pasteur (laughs) would not have discovered how to not make people get sick from milk if Louis came home and was, like, in the office needing to process his bad experience at the boulangerie that day. If he's like, I wanted deux croissants. They gave me trois croissants. You think she's gonna figure out how to not throw up from milk?
7: Did we all go into a K-hole like I'm completely lost?
6: In the work Okay. This is the attitude that verbal processors have. Okay, this is it. Oh no, okay. I, I just want your extra time and your doobie doobie doob do all of your time. That's that is now how this cons-
1: How does this relate to patronizing
6: dogs? It doesn't, John. uh, And so, I have a little dog. When my little dog gets angry, people like to be patronizing, and they're like, oh, uh uh-oh, killer. It's like Charles Manson was 5'4", dude, okay? Like, you don't know what terrible things she's capable of, okay? Are we just forgetting our collective experience with Joe Pesci? Like... He basically killed the entire state of New Jersey between 1990 and 1995 in cinema. He seems like the only actor that ad-libbed murders in a movie. And he can like stand up in a car. Back to you, John.
1: Let's spin it one more time. Let's spin it again. (laughs) Yeah, verbal processes are tough. It's tough, the verbal processes. They need an island. (laughs) (laughs) It has landed on iTunes, which I believe Adam suggested.
3: Yeah, this was mine. I hate a lot of software, but this is a piece of software that I hate that I use every day. And it, it didn't start out this way. When Apple first released the iPod, it was so important we're still using the word in podcasting. It held a thousand songs, and I could play any music I wanted on this thing. And you know what you can't do on an iPhone right now? Put all your fucking music on it. There's no central button. No, it's ridiculous. It's on the cloud. And the one place that I want to listen to my phone is on the airplane. Where to listen to it on the cloud, I have to pay like 20 bucks for shitty dial-up service on the plane and hear my music. It makes me absolutely crazy. Oh, and I have this like 14-year-old solitaire program on my phone. I play it only on airplanes. And I've been playing it for like... 14 years. Every time I open it up it might have been months, it remembers exactly where I was and the game that I was playing but iTunes can't remember what I was doing five seconds ago It's like a tabla rasa every time I shut it down It's a perfectly and shitified program and yet I have to use it every day so I'm sad Somebody works at Spotify just shouted
1: Spotify.
7: Is your podcast gonna survive that rant?
1: We're gonna bleep it out
7: Okay (laughs)
1: Uh, we're grateful for the support that Apple provides. Uh, all praise be to the people at Apple for everything they do for us. They make life worth living. I, for one, am excited to put on their permanent life helmet. <laughs> I look forward to the experience of speaking to you through the form of my digital avatar made by a uh, machine learning process that scans my face and then forgets... lets me forget my face Forever. And I don't care that my phone, my computer, and my iPad each have a different cord. I think that that's also really cool. Um, I think that that's an unsolvable problem, and I get why it got that way. (laughs) When we come back, we'll end on a high note. And we're back. Uh, one more time, everybody give it up for Adam Savage, for Marcus Williams, for Emily Van Dyke, and for Chris Fleming. Thank you guys all so much for being here. We are over time, so we're going to do three high notes. Hi, what's your name? What is your high note?
6: Hi, my name's
0: Chris, and I'm a teacher from Dublin for my locals. Um, My high note is that I'm here with my lovely mom who is now
1: retired at the age of 60 and just celebrated her 60th birthday. And uh, this is my way after many years of uh, taking her to Bill Maher shows to uh, sort of get a new gateway drug going with the show. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Hi, what's your name? What's your high note?
5: Hi, my name is Mary. My high note is that after living here for six years, I'm moving to
4: D.C. next week to go do my dream job and work on climate policy
1: in the Biden administration. Oh, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. And hi, what is your name and what is your high note?
4: Hi, my name is Erica and I quit my shitty ass job. Nice. Um, My mom introduced me to your podcast in 2020. She's a 40-year-old, something like younger than 45 millennial, from Virginia. And she's going to be listening to this episode this Saturday. So big shout out to
1: you. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. I'm quitting your job. San Francisco, thank you so, so much. That is our show. Thank you to Carney Asada. Thank you to Mayor Breed, Adam Savage, Chris Fleming, Marcus Williamson, Emily Van Dyke. There are 507 days until the 2024 elections. Have a great weekend and happy Pride. Thanks, everybody. So great. Love It or Leave It is a Crooked Media production. It is written and produced by me, John Lovett and Lee Eisenberg. Kendra James is our executive producer. Brian Semmel is our producer. And Malcolm Whitfield is our associate producer. Howie Keeper is our head writer. Sarah Lazarus, Jocelyn Kaufman, Povey Gunalan, Peter Miller, Rebecca Kaplan, Alan Pierre, Chandler Dean are our writers. Bill Lance is our editor. Stephen Colon is our audio engineer. And Kyle Seglin provides audio support. Our theme song is written and performed by SureSure. Sure. Thanks to our designers, Jesse McLean and Caroline Haywood, for creating and running all of our visuals, which you can't see because this is a podcast. And to our digital producers, Zuri Irvin, David Tolls, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote for filming and editing video each week so you can. You can find those glorious videos at www.youtube.com slash at loveitorleaveitpodcast. That's the best we could do, I guess. Subscribe to Love It or Leave It on YouTube for access to video versions of your favorite segments and other exclusive content. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on IG and Twitter. And if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a review.